Hello. Hello. Arun. Mic check. Rohan, you're supposed to say hello. Hi, people. Yes, uh, this is our guest today, our dear friend, Rohan Manyar, who I see has joined using his sister's ID, just as I have joined using my brother's ID. So, I changed okay. my name. Oh, right. Okay. Um, How's it been? We've been trying to get Rohan on the podcast for quite some time, but he's an elusive creature. Um, So we finally have him on board with us. Santosh will be glad that he'll have a condensed matter person for company with him today. Uh, I and Chetan will mostly shut the fuck up and listen to these guys. Um, I'll be listening. How's it going, Rohan? You're in Bangalore, you couldn't make it back to campus. I'm not sure if that's a good thing at this point, but... Uh, yeah, it's not a great thing. Bangalore has been pretty badly hit now, and Pune is getting better, so I'd love to be on campus and with friends, but it is what it is, right? Do you have any news of when you guys will be called back to campus? Because, like, fifth years is supposed to be starting soon. Probably after two I'm not sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> well... First, I don't think we'll get called back until the cases at least plateau, if not dip. So um, it's going to at least be a month or two before we get called. There is a plateau. It's just in the vertical direction. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I was thinking of what can we get Rohan to talk about? Um, and while there's lots of things that we can talk because like I and Rohan have a lot of shared interests, like football, music, and so on. But I remember Santosh had mentioned that he had a request. Like I remember, like I think a couple of episodes ago, we had put out a request asking people to tell us if they want something specific discussed. And there were a bunch of requests about cosmology. But what was the other one, Santosh? It, it, it had something to do with history of condensed matter or something. Yeah, yeah. There was yeah, one so request about the history of condensed matter. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, the one or I, there was probably one more I forgot. Yeah, this was one: the history of condensed matter. Uh, yeah, well, while, while that is a very vague uh, statement, I'm sure the two of you between yourselves can somehow sort of construct how this area started coming about. What were the original problems like long ago, I don't know, 100 years ago or something? What were the questions that led to this current field of management physics or something? We're interested in knowing about what Rohan is actually doing right now, like as his project. Right. Well, yeah, that's yeah. Um, to answer Chetan's question of what I'm currently doing, so I'm currently uh, my interest lies in 2D magnetism. Uh, that is what my project is going to be on, and even my fifth year thesis will be on that, hopefully. Um, yeah, and uh, so the point is that until now, there's this theorem called the Merriman-Wagner theorem, which basically uh, made long range, uh, you know, sort of ordering in uh, 2D materials pretty difficult because whenever you try to get um, ferromagnetism, 2D materials, thermal fluctuations just kept, you know, saying no. But uh, now there have been uh, recent papers which have shown that um, by introducing certain anisotropies, um, you have been able to come up with these 2D materials which can show ferromagnetic properties. And so that's what our project is going to be on. Rohan, 
you tell me this uh, so i i think i saw some like recently uh, roger penrose got the nobel prize so he has some work on i think penrose tilings or something and i i saw somewhere that there was something related to that uh, so, like i think that was related to this 2d magnetism are you aware of that like there is some kind no, of no i'm uh, not there is some kind of a quasi crystal or something that shows long range order and it's not supposed to exist but then uh, i think a couple of physicists they like i think some i think penrose or someone predicted it uh, to exist and then uh, a couple of people i think some chemistry guy or someone and they got a nobel prize for it to find uh, like they, they i think they found those crystals or something i'm not sure what the name exactly is but are you aware of that well it seems very no, i'm not aware of that thing. acha hmm. fine do do share the paper if or whatever links you have on that we could check that out ha uh. but i think it got a nobel prize so mm-hmm. i thought it acha to uh, is was that nobel like there was a recently a nobel prize on uh, this i think topological states of matter is that related to uh, what you are doing in this oh, what is 2d magnetism so te- like give me a brief understanding of what it is i think like all i know about magnetism is uh, probably some ising model so right so um so you know that um the point of 2d magnetism is okay so you want to be able to create permanent magnets or induce a ferromagnetic state in 2d materials correct that is the objective primarily and um when you go to 2d materials uh, it becomes very tricky to do this because thermal fluctuations just don't allow it and so you have to devise schemes to be able to induce uh to be able to uh get this sort of long range ordering and overcome the thermal fluctuations and um that is pretty much uh what the um that's pretty much where research in 2d magnetism goes uh to understand how you can have these two dimensional materials which show ferromagnetic properties um and to be able to induce ferromagnetic properties and many other materials uh, so that um, you can use them in whatever technological purposes you want to um, oh man how does how, how does uh, like how does two dimensions make a special difference why can't this happen in three dimensions do you have for example long range uh, order in three dimensions like what's so special about two dimensions so what's so special about two dimensions so the point is uh, there is a theorem the merman wagner theorem which basically says that you can't break a continuous symmetry in uh one or two dimensions and um, now if you want to model a magnetic material the most obvious choice is to use the heisenberg model and you can see immediately that there is a continuous symmetry in the spin degree of freedom and you just can't break that um what, what is essentially uh special about two dimensions i think is more of a field theory question but i can just state the theorem for you that when you do have uh uh two dimensions this theorem basically just says no you can't have so so, uh, essentially, so essentially you're saying that you cannot have 
uh, like a spontaneous breaking of some symmetry in two dimensions in one or two exactly. dimensions. Exactly. So uh, let's let's consider what uh, you would want your ferromagnet to do, right? You would want all of the spins to align in a direction, which would obviously break a continuous symmetry of the Hamiltonian, right? The spins, the if you if you um, so how do we put this? The spins, the spin of Heisenberg model, right? Is uh, the high the Heisenberg model Hamiltonian itself is rotationally invariant, right? right? And so you have you can see that you have a continuous symmetry. Right now, you want now. Obviously, the Mermin-Wagner theorem in its statement itself says you cannot break this symmetry. But if you, if I wanted to induce a ferromagnetic state, i.e., I wanted all my spins to align in a direction, I'm going to be having to break the symmetry. So there lies the problem. Right. right. So, but so I know that in one dimension, no, I know that in one dimensions you can't have spontaneous symmetry breaking because one dimension is just quantum mechanics. And in quantum mechanics, you can basically have tunneling between vacua. So the the the, the principal reason why uh, field theory shows spontaneous symmetry breaking and quantum quantum mechanics does not show spontaneous symmetry breaking is that um, in field theories uh, you have an integration over the entire volume, which is infinity, which kind of prevents uh, transitioning between the two. You know, so you have two possible vacua, and you have to choose one of them to break your symmetry. In quantum field theory, you 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 must pick just one because there's an infinite volume, like the integral over d cubed x, that prevents tunneling between these two. But in quantum mechanics, there is no such thing. In quantum mechanics, you can actually achieve a superposition of these uh, two vacua. So this is why you don't have a spontaneous symmetry breaking in one dimension. But I'm not very. Uh, I'll have to probably read more about this. So please send me links if you have any. I I can't think of a very simple reason as to why there wouldn't be a symmetry breaking in two dimensions. Exactly. So I think it might that it, it might be that two dimensions is just special because it like the models are exactly solvable there. That's probably why. Right. That's, that's right. Hmm. I mean, uh, that's Chetan, can you elaborate on why two D models are exactly solvable? I mean, I mean take Ising model only for an example. Okay. We know that two D Ising model can be like it, there exists some kind of a. Exact solution for two D Ising model. Yeah, the Onsager solution. Yeah, so one hmm. D is like very trivial. So uh, like one D cannot be taken as a uh, like any any kind of a, like fundamental case or anything to study. One D doesn't show a finite temperature phase transition. I mean that's, that's in so that's particularly in the case of Ising model. But like in many systems, one D is usually not considered as a physical case. Because like uh, hmm. usually what happens is that in higher dimensions, like weird things start happening in various uh, physical models. So usually one D becomes too trivial, but two D and three D are usually mm -hmm. the low dimensional uh, models where uh, usually the interesting stuff happens. But then in three dimensions, like mm -hmm. example, Ising model is not exactly solvable. So that's why mostly right. people like stick to two D. Like even uh, if you look at conformal field theories. Mostly people study 2D CFTs because, like, they become like they are very easy to study. Like, it it's just complex analysis. They're just complex analysis. Yeah. So like right. it's probably the reasons like those, I guess. Also, Rohan, you had recently sent me a paper on which is that stochastic thermodynamics, and right. uh, actually, can you can you like explain? I haven't read it. Apologies, and but it's uh, the premise sounded extremely interesting to me. Can you like elaborate on that for a little bit? 
I wish I could, but I have myself not read stochastic thermodynamics for like a year. And so, yeah, um, I had this, done it a year ago. So, like, this is a fair description of everybody's motivation level. <laughs> also, more importantly, Jetan uh, was telling me something about, I don't know if I remember clearly, stochastic quantization or something like that. Huh, so, I think. Jethan? That's more or less related to stochastic thermodynamics, like not very exactly, but uh, like it's like in the same uh, sort of vein as of discussion. So like I, I would probably tell you what my understanding of stochastic uh, thermodynamics is. So essentially what uh, like if you try to like boil down thermodynamics to the most like the basically the simplest of principles, what exactly uh, happens at the uh, say level of particles or something like what would happen at the most fundamental level that would give rise to uh, like thermodynamic principles in the macroscopic limit so essentially like if you look at chemistry the thermodynamics is uh, supposed to be a, a like study of some macroscopic phenomena but then you quickly realize that the explanations of those macroscopic phenomena is usually given by certain microscopic like you need to know certain microscopic details of the system to uh, like the, uh, those will basically give you the macroscopic uh, like the understanding of those macroscopic phenomena for example pressure and uh, temperature and stuff like that so uh, like in uh, stochastic thermodynamics what you assume is like you take a very simple model you uh, so i think they probably consider some markov chains or something like you so you the basically consider say a markov chain or something so a uh, markov chain is essentially you uh, your so it's consider a graph uh, say a directed graph and then uh, the say the uh, like the arrows or whatever in those graphs they uh, are sort of telling you about the probabilities that the system so uh, if you uh, like if you are at some vertex of the graph that will essentially give you a state of your system at that particular point say and then the uh, directed arrow from that graph will sort of tell you what's the probability of the system from going from one vertex to other so basically what's the probability of system from going from state one to state two now, if you want to look at the, say, the dynamics of the system uh, in this Markov chain, you can construct something like a transfer matrix. So you essentially uh, construct a differential operator by saying that, okay, what's the state of the system at T plus one? What's the state of the system at T? And you subtract it and construct something like a derivative. And then you'll see that this is essentially a function of the transfer matrix applied on the uh, like particular vertex elements and so it will sort like applying the transfer matrix essentially tells you like if you had, are at some time step t what's the uh how does it what's the state of the system at t plus one essentially so it's like sort all of, of this right. sounds very similar to brownian motion sort of idea yeah, yeah so that no, it is because again it's a marker process so yeah so again the whole idea of you know transfer matrices and all of that again can be directly related to Brownian motion. But I think the point is of stochastic thermodynamics is that as Chetan put it, you know, concepts like heat, you know, um, energy of a system, etc. they're macroscopic quantities. But what one realizes is that you can also, uh, you know, if you use this Markov process, if you're in this uh, Markov process formalism, you can also make these ideas, you know, for uh, uh, you can introduce these ideas to um, smaller systems, you know, 
the the idea of um, heat transfer from uh, heat transfer or anything of that thing uh, is obviously going to be a macroscopic thing, but stochastic thermodynamics is essentially saying that um, you know we can introduce such the sim the same ideas for microscopic systems with you know a finite number of particles and whatnot. Yeah. But then, the... if I remember properly, the laws of thermodynamics were not absolute laws. Yeah, they so... were statistical laws. So if right, you right. consider very small systems, you'll see violations, right? Of course. Good. Of course. Uh, but, uh, okay, so when you say that, you're, you're trying to say that there are going to be fluctuations. And of course, if you consider a, law, a small number of particles, your law of large numbers simply won't work. Is that what you're trying to say? Yes, yes, that's what I'm trying to say. So uh, no, that is true. So you do you do correct for that. Uh, of course, you will expect that you know there will be fluctuations, uh, but there uh, it, you can correct for it in the formalism. Okay. So I mean, Rohan put it like much better than uh, what I was saying. So essentially, the point is that uh, like as Santosh you observed, uh, the laws of thermodynamics are supposed like so the classical thermodynamics that we study. The those laws are supposed to hold only for equilibrium systems, and so in classical thermodynamics, you don't talk about systems that are out of equilibrium or not in equilibrium. So essentially, and, and those are the systems where the fluctuation is essentially like the fluctuation is dominating. So like the system is essentially like you just prepared the system or something like that, or suppose you have some gla glassy kind of system where equilibrium is not achieved even at large times. So in such cases, you your uh, laws, the classical laws of thermodynamics cannot hold, because uh, that's the thing. They are supposed to hold only for equilibrium system. So you have to uh, like sort of correct for your thermodynamics so that it now also starts working for like out of equilibrium or in non-equilibrium systems. And uh, so essentially, how would you describe a system that's not at equilibrium? Because when the system is at equilibrium, you realize that uh, you don't need a lot of microscopic information. You essentially can work with only the uh, macroscopic quantities, but when the system is not in equilibrium, you realize that you need this ma microscopic information, and so you essentially try to see what what is the most simplest model I can use to describe these this microscopic system, and then what you realize is that uh, like more or less you what you get is the, your regular laws of thermodynamics with some corrections that account for uh, these fluctuations. And essentially what you observe is that if you take the equilibrium limit of these, you again get your uh, classical thermodynamics back. But exactly. the point of stochastic... Not just, uh, sorry, huh. No, what I was saying is that not just that, you can also derive certain thermodynamic equalities, which, you know, uh, certain thermodynamic equalities and inequalities, which would require otherwise a very rigorous justification come out quite naturally in the formalism of stochastic thermodynamics. So that's another uh, uh, plus point of uh, stochastic thermodynamics. Uh, this is a good point, this is a good point. I think like the second law, it, 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 is, it becomes like more or less like an identity in, if you consider the stochastic thermodynamics. Right, right, exactly. And in classical thermodynamics, it's taken as a postulate. So, exactly, so a lot of these, a lot of these laws and inequalities once you so of course you're making the assumption that you have a markov process 
but once you've made that assumption a lot of your uh basic thermodynamic equations and what not just come out very naturally and so there lies some beauty in it right and uh, so uh, the stochastic quantization is like it's sort of uh, similar to like the treatment is very similar to this but it's an even interesting like it's something that i find very interesting i don't know if ron you are aware of it or not so essentially it's uh, so the idea is that you can uh, sort of uh, quantize uh, any classical given classical system by just considering it as a stochastic process uh, so uh, and like if you take a, a stochastic process we want to describe it very uh, simply the simplest thing that you want is something like an f equal to ma kind of equation and uh, on the fourth side you just add a noise term so you say that my system is like a classical newtonian system it obeys f equal to ma but uh, instead of like just the ma force there is also a noise force uh, like there is a, a noise term that's acting so it's a random force that's acting on my particles and uh, like how do you quant- uh, like how do you uh, characterize this randomness in your uh, uh, in the system so you say that uh, i take some distribution and my uh, like I'll, i'll pick some value at random from this distribution and that will sort of give me the value of my this noise variable and so this uh, like the uh, picking uh, picking a value randomly from a distribution is what characterizes your randomness in your system so in most cases you take a gaussian kind of distribution and say i pick up some number from a gaussian distribution and that sort of gives me a gaussian uh, or white noise as uh, santosh was saying and so uh, essentially in stochastic quantization you take a classical system you write down the equations of motion for those classical system which is essentially your euler lagrange equation you add a noise term and what you realize is that you can like there is a so uh, when you have a random process and you want to uh, calculate say the equilibrium uh, quantities so say you want to calculate the expectation of a certain uh, variable uh, at equilibrium or at infinite times so uh, that could be obtained by uh, like essentially calculating an integral where you average over all the uh, this uh, distribution of the random uh, or the noise variable so what you realize is that uh, in this case uh, there exists a change of variables where you can uh, like use instead of working with those uh, noise variables you can work with a different set of variables and this integral where which you are using to uh, uh, calculate the expectation values of your various physical quantities it becomes a path integral so you essentially quantize the system any classical system by just uh, introducing a noise variable so i like i, I find this a very elegant way of uh, looking at quantum uh, like quantum mechanics so like the uh, other ways are basically like one of the ways is by uh, canonically quantizing your uh, quantum system which i do not find appealing at all and then there is feynman path, path integral quantization which is uh, like more or less related to uh, this stochastic quantization but stochastic quantization it sort of gives you something up say a precursor to uh feynman path integral quantization so it sort of explains why the path integral is arising the way it, it does like it's not a god given quantity it it like there is a natural way by which it, it arises so yeah i mean that probably more or less uh, what i know about stochastic quantization like there are a lot of other interesting things about it but yeah i mean yeah probably that while you guys so rambling about stochastic thermodynamics i was 
looking up the merman wagner theorem and i realized that so that there are two crucial ingredients here one is that uh, the spontaneous symmetry breaking has to do with finite temperature so the merman wagner theorem does not hold for zero temperature systems uh, and the other is that you need sufficiently short range interactions so one way to uh, one way to break the like to get around the merman wagner theorem and talk about you know the kind of materials that rohan was talking about where you have long range to the order would be to introduce sufficient sufficiently large like you know large scale interactions in your theory for example like i don't know add a massless boson or something uh, so yeah amartya you are actually exactly right i and rohan i remember like we had this short debate a few days ago and rohan had raised precisely this point it is finite temperature because you see at zero temperature it turns out that in one dimension you can still have you know normal ferromagnetic phases but that is only at zero temperature in one dimension and again it's because of the exact subtlety that you pointed out this merman wagner theorem deals only with finite temperature and yes. as for the second part yes and as for the second part what was that um, wait wait, wait what was that? what a very simple oh, counter oh, example oh. is that at at zero temperature you are for example your your Ising model has like an S two dot S one kind of interaction. This has a S U two symmetry that will get spontaneously broken down at zero temperature. So there is no. It seems to contradict Merman Wagner theorem. It's only at finite temperature that the theorem holds. And moreover, the part which is more relevant to breaking the symmetry, it has to do with the existence of sufficiently short range interactions. So you can't have long, long range interactions. So for example, like your next nearest coupling or whatever you have in Ising Ising model. those are kinds of things which will let you you know still be in the realm of the theorem but you can't have long range interactions and uh, i was just looking up some wikipedia pages to look at i mean i didn't obviously did not have any time to read anything in detail but a very simple way is to for example introduce uh, so if you have an s1 dot s si dot si plus 1 kind of coupling just uh, make the coefficient of this scale as some r to the minus alpha or i to the minus alpha whatever index yeah yeah and uh, now this uh, introduces long now for now for certain values of alpha this will introduce like long range effects or i mean in in the most general case you can cu consider couplings like si dot sj and then if you for example if you just make the coefficient r power mod i minus j or something like that then you will see that for certain i minus j values you have long range interaction in your theories and in that case you can still have you can get around this theorem but yeah the right. crucial ingredients of the theorem and which is why it seemed very unfamiliar to me uh because from a qft perspective there seems to be no reason for there to not be a symmetry breaking in two dimensions the crucial ingredients are just finite temperature and no long range interactions so right i was so thinking about another one there was actually right. it's a possibility that i can have topological phases in two dimensions yeah uh, and, and that's precisely is, and that's precisely what like chetan said that's precisely what the nobel prize in 2016 was about it was about topological oh. phase transitions because uh, the merman wagner theorem disallows this uh, but you can apparently get around this using using topological phase transitions and i think halden and these people don't remember the names but these people showed precisely this they showed some crystal structure in two dimensions and it comes out of a topological phase transitions and not your like perturbative phase transitions so there is no contradiction so another way you can uh, go around the merman wagner theorem is just by breaking the symmetric the initial uh, continuous symmetry itself right but but like but to break the initial continuous symmetry you must uh, add something to your hamiltonian so the two equations so the two statements are equivalent right 
That's how you break the symmetry by changing exactly. your exactly. Exactly. So uh, if I uh, may add, uh, um, you normally uh, one way of breaking the symmetry, in fact, is simply to just uh, you evoke spin-orbit coupling. And the fact that your crystal structure itself has uh, a certain—I mean, the crystal itself has a certain structure—and the fact that you, now your electron orbits get coupled to your spin itself breaks the symmetry. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 So we just had a very extensive discussion, and we realized that uh, the thing wasn't being recorded. So unfortunately, I think uh, we need to give Chetan the responsibility of summarizing everything. It has so it had something to do with why the pole structure in two dimensions, like in two or lower than two dimensions uh, of the propagator, gives you some information about the correlation function that sort of breaks the order. So you were saying, Chetan. Right. Yeah. So like what I was saying is that. Uh, like even in field theory context when we study order like order in uh, various dimensions so essentially what we study is we look at some kind of a propagator say a two point correlation and uh, so what uh, so if we take the goldstone theorem like uh, so it essentially tells us that if your if there is a symmetry breaking in the system it will correspond to some kind of a uh, massless particle in your system so if you look at the structure of your propagator Uh, it is of the form one by p square plus m square with some uh, d-dimension integral, uh, momentum integral. So the point is that if you look at this uh, particular two-point correlation function, uh, if you take Goldstone theorem into mind, then uh, when the mass of this uh, boson vanishes, you realize that this will correspond to some kind of a singularity in your correlation function. But the point is that in higher dimensions, like for d greater than two. This singularity is like it's not an essential singularity. You can integrate it out. So, like, uh, like by very rough dimension, uh, like power counting, you see that there are more powers of p in your numerator, and so this is not an essential singularity. You can get rid of this. But in d equal to one and two, this this is an this is an actual singularity of your system. So, since this is an actual singularity of your correlator, this is not something that you can integrate out. So, uh, in like d equal to one and two, the breaking of symmetry like it, it essentially corresponds to like breaking of some kind of order in your system so i think that might be somewhat related to the uh, discussion of coleman wagner theorem like but chetan my 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 reservation is that when you say that the correlation function has a pole that poses one by p squared you're assuming a three level exchange uh, i'm like i'm and i mean it's not necessary that you will even have a For, for example, take something like a five-fold theory or something. There is no one by p squared propagator at tree level here. You have to go to loop level to have any kind of propagator, and then there, then it's one by p to the fourth. Hmm. So, so in two dimensions, this, this is still not a problem. So I think I, I think we had this conversation. So, uh, like my my point was that in two dimensions, say, uh, so essentially what I'm considering in like uh, field theory perspective is very simple Lagrangian something that only has a kinetic and a mass term and probably some kind of a potential uh, like okay. not even that potential but like probably we will have to take into account the potential if there is a symmetry breaking in our system but uh, I'm looking at like the just the bare bone structure of the Lagrangian of a theory and so see in either case the two point function will give us the propagator right It's not like presence of five four will not change the two point correlation. It will just contribute at like at loop orders, at higher loop orders. It will like it won't change the one by p square form of the two point correlation. 
like at higher loop it like it will contribute when you say consider a four point right. exchange program uh, right. like right. so like that's a different story i like in my opinion also like as we were discussing earlier in two dimensions it's like like i don't see the point of uh, taking a particular model in like unless we know for certain that the, uh, we have a particular model in our mind uh, i i don't see uh, how we can start with a, a very general lagrangian in two dimensions because just because of the point that in two dimensions uh, like a, everything is uh, like a relevant operator so you can in principle put anything on your lagrangian and that will uh, that could contribute to your uh, like scattering process and everything in your physical theory so like uh, essentially that's the point why in two dimensions people either study topological models or uh, say uh, conformal field theories because just because the presence of conformal symmetry uh, it restricts your correlators and uh, essentially the number of terms in your lagrange so even the structural right. form of the terms in your lagrange so i mean cft like yeah, that's an interesting way. that's an interesting way to look at it but i'm just so now now i'm slightly just just slightly confused maybe i'll have to think about it a little more because uh, the moment magnet theorem also has two other constraints where it talks about finite temperature and short range interactions and so on and goldman then the goldstone theorem that we're talking about this has no such constraints on it it's a perfectly general theorem so uh right i mean i'm, I'm so, not sure if, uh, uh, yeah. so the, uh, like my point was that i cannot i probably um, like i i don't think we can use uh, a very general or a very like yeah a very general field theory argument to probably look at morbin wagner theorem essentially because of the fact that in two dimensions uh, like you there is not a particular general lagrangian that you can consider so probably it like the exact model that you are dealing with is what is relevant in two dimensions so unless you probably know the exact model that like or essentially if you give the details of the model it's probably not sufficient like just a uh, general lagrangian is not sufficient to comment on like probably order and uh, these kind of ideas in two dimensions like that's my opinion I, i'm not sure probably rohan rohan do you have anything to contribute to this sorry could you repeat your statement once more just um, yeah, so about what i was saying is that in two dimensions i don't see the point of like starting with a general lagrangian to and basically using field theory to comment on uh, like uh, these issues of uh, like order and symmetry breaking because essentially i don't see what a general lagrangian in 2d can be like probably the specific model that you are dealing with is more uh, appropriate here like am i right like i am right. not sure right right No, yeah, no, yeah. Because in two dimensions, unless you start with like some special constraint on a Lagrangian, like let's say you start with a theory that has vanishing beta functions or something, so you know that under RG flows you won't be generating more and more relevant operators. You can't just write down a action because a very simple way to see this is, for example, look at a scalar field theory in two dimensions. Let's say partial phi to the four, and phi here is dimensionless. so you can keep adding arbitrary polynomials in phi as interactions suppressed by some energy scale to your 2d action and you never run into trouble like they're still relevant at all orders i think that's enough physics for today how's football going when was the last time you played a month ago uh, today i just went and practiced a bit right premier league is absolute oh this have you been following the news about the super league Yeah, but that got cancelled. Yeah. yeah, that that got cancelled. But hadn't Manu like signed up for it? 
all the i think all the big six were all the big six were yeah all the big six were no i assume manu would have some honor you know being a culturally significant club lol edward yeah. i'm i'm very yeah, happy i think to this episode people are discussing things like going out and practicing uh, what about you your isolation is over right chetan or is it still as soon as the isolation was about to get over the entire city got fucked right now right. no point in going out also a lot of people yeah. in my building are like uh, getting infected one by one so i'm just waiting for my time <laughs> <laughs> i think this episode is going to be rather long we chatted yeah, quite a bit today we should just wrap this up now okay yeah, i think yeah. we should wrap this up now. yes it was a lot of fun being with rohan Yes, yes. And yeah. thank you for being here, Rohan. Thank you guys for calling me. I, I mean, yeah. I'm yeah. totally too shy to do stuff like this. So, yeah. Thank you all for forcing me. I'm sure after really today, your DMs are going to be full. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna get uh, sure, junior. Th- you're gonna get juniors um, asking you for advice about how to proceed in research in stochastic thermodynamics. I'm sure. I'm sure not after this, but yeah, let's see. I went yeah. first, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Let's wrap this up. Fine. Bye yes, bye. let's wrap this up. Okay. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye, people. See.